let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to finish the book of Corinthians this morning, and then next week we'll go to 2 Corinthians if you want to start reading ahead. On Wednesday nights, we're about ready to finish 2 Peter, and then we're going to jump back into our Through the Bible study where we're going to Genesis to Revelation, and we'll be in the book of Leviticus. So. You guys excited to study the Word? I think the Lord has some good things in store uh, for us, so let's, let's pray together. Father, we come before you thanking you for your love for us, thanking you for the opportunity to study your Word. We pray that you give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. Please send your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth. May we grow in wisdom. May we grow in these life lessons that we see from the Apostle Paul. In Jesus' name, amen. Life lessons are really passed on. They're caught more than they're taught. You probably agree. Much of the way that Jesus taught the disciples is he did life with them. He spent time with them and they observed the passions, the priorities, the integrity of Christ. I remember growing up in a Christian home and my parents were faithful to teach me things, but they also lived it out by uh, example. Right now is hunting season, so I've been reflecting on some hunting trips with my dad. We were out hunting there in southern Oregon. We'd finished the day of hunting, didn't see any deer, which is the case with hunting many times. The sun had gone down, it's dark, there are six of us crammed into a Ford Bronco. My brother and I, my dad, then our best friends, Brendan and Jared, and their dad. So six of us are in this Ford Bronco, and all of a sudden, here comes this really nice buck that jumps right in front of the truck. And it was deer in headlights. It was just stuck there, frozen. We could have easily gotten out and shot that buck. All four of us boys, teen boys, were like, shoot it! Somebody shoot this sucker, right? And our dads, you could see it on their face that they wanted to as well. But they looked at us and they said, boys, we can't do this. This is illegal. The sun's gone down. It's dark. We, we can't shoot this deer. And that was a life lesson on integrity. Dad had taught me on integrity, but he lived it out in integrity. I really like this chapter. And the reason is, is we get a vision. We get a window into Paul's life. As he is ending this letter and saying goodbye, we see some of his priorities. We see some of his idiosyncrasies, and there's a lot of life lessons. There's a lot of wisdom that we glean from the Apostle Paul through this. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the church of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper that there be no collections when I come. The church of Jerusalem was suffering financially. There was great difficulty in Jerusalem. So Paul was going around to primarily Gentile churches that God had used him to plant, asking for financial gift to support the church in Jerusalem. This is an amazing expression of the unity that the gospel had brought to the early church. Jews and Gentiles were radically divided apart from Christ. Incredible prejudice. In Jerusalem would be primarily Jewish believers. They would never spend time together. The hatred was both ways between Jews and Gentiles. But in Christ, they came to understand they were one blood, the blood of Jesus. 
And because of that, they're loving and caring for each other. It's a great example for us. The world's divided right now. There's a lot of hatred. There's, there's a lot of prejudice. But inside of the heart of a believer, there's no room for prejudice because Christ has died for our sins and we get to love and, and care for one another. What a testimony that this would have been to unbelievers to see Gentiles giving finances to Jews who they once hated and these Jews who once hated the Gentiles to be willing to receive help from their brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the life lessons we glean from these two verses is that giving should be purposeful. We'll be looking at seven lessons. Giving should be purposeful. Paul says, I want you to go ahead and purpose in your heart what God wants you to give And set that aside on the first day of the week. Allow this to be a regular pattern in your life so that when I come, there's no need for a collection. The collection has already taken place. And the Bible speaks to giving in several places. Jesus taught us and instructed us to lay up our treasures in heaven because our heart is going to follow treasure. What you put your treasure into, your heart is naturally going to follow. You probably don't care much about the stock market if you're not invested in the stock market. But if you have some treasure in the stock market, you're probably a little bit more interested. And God wants our hearts to be invested in heaven. One of the ways that he gets us there is by investing resources, investing treasure. The book of Malachi talks about not robbing God with our tithe and offering our tithe unto the Lord. Allowing that to be our first fruits in our worship. It's been said that one of the last things to be reached in our lives is our wallet. (laughs) And worshiping the Lord in that tangible expression of our finances. For those of us that are parents, one of the things that we encourage our kids in is giving, right? Because it frees their hearts from greed. God's not broke. God declares to us that he owns everything. He owns all the cattle on all the hills. So God is not asking for our money because he's broke. And this gets us into the motivation of our giving in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. So giving is between you and the Lord. You get to purpose in your heart what God wants you to give. You get alone with God and seek him. Say, Lord, what would you desire for me to give to, to your work? What specifically are you calling me to give to? Inside of that, as the Lord puts something on our hearts, then to develop a plan where it's practical to say, I'm going to set this money aside on this day of the week. When I do my bills on the 1st and 15th, I'm going to make that gift unto the Lord the first fruits, not the leftovers. It's easy when it comes to this area of giving to make giving unto the Lord the last. If I have anything left over, I'll give. But God wants it to be our first fruits. I remember when Amber and I were fairly new in our marriage, we had decided before we were married that tithe would be the first thing that we would do in our budget. As we do our bills, we would do our our tithe first. We got into our first home, a little home in the downtown area, Looking back, we were overextended on the mortgage. This young couple being a little bit too aggressive on the mortgage, and it was tight. It was tight as all get out. So what did I decide to do? I decided to stop tithing. 
I did the math and I'm like, well, if we don't tithe, this is really going to help the monthly budget. But who did I not tell? Amber, right? I was living in some deception there. And it was crazy just how tight things got. And Amber's like, I don't understand this. Like, I'm trying the best that I can. And it just seems like it's not working. The budget's not working. And I'm feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's like, when are you going to own up, knucklehead? Right? So I'm like, you know, babe, I've, I've stopped tithing. She's like, what? You, you've stopped tithing? We got to get back to that. We got to make sure that that's the first fruits to the Lord. And it was amazing once we started doing that again, how God was faithful to provide in ways that we couldn't even anticipate. There was one Christmas, and I was on e-phone here at, here at the church. It was the youth pastor. And I get a phone call on Christmas Day, and someone had left their Bible here in their purse at the Christmas Eve service. So I was like, okay, let me go up to the church and see if it's in Lost and Found. And sure it was in Lost and Found. And just coordinating schedules, they ended up coming to our house to, to pick it up. And they give us a card. And in that card, they just blessed Amber and I with a little bit of money. And at that time... That was huge. That was such a, such a blessing to us. And God provided through somebody leaving their Bible here. And then it was on their heart to say, hey, thanks for giving some time on Christmas to, to meet this, this need. The, the Lord was faithful. I don't know how the Lord does it, but he's faithful. He tells us to seek first the kingdom. If you've come to RMC or you're new to RMC, please hear our heart on this. First, I, I want to thank you for your continued giving to the Lord. I know it's under the Lord and your faithfulness in these difficult times for those of you that have felt led to, to continue to give. And we don't pass a plate. We don't take an offering in our services. And not that that's wrong, but there's a reason for that. A conviction for us is we want giving to be between you and the Lord. So there's opportunity to give with tithe boxes in the back. You can, you can give online, but we really want it to be something that you pray through and are able to do cheerfully unto the Lord. Also for unbelievers that come to our church for the first time, we don't want them to be under the impression that the church is just after my money, right? We want unbelievers to come and hear about Jesus. So we do teach on giving because we teach the Bible. When we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, when God talks about giving, we talk about giving, but not every message at Rocky Mountain Calvary is on giving. We'll, we'll let the Lord bring those, those topics uh, to us. So this is one of those opportunities that gives us practical instruction of allowing giving to be personal and purposeful. Verse 3, when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it's fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So giving should be accountable. Paul says, I'm going to have accountability in this. Paul understands that he could show up at Corinth, take this collection, go to Jerusalem. He's got the money by himself. Who knows if the money ever actually made it to the church in Jerusalem. Maybe Paul pocketed it for himself. So he says, I want you to send a representative. Send somebody from the church of Corinth that can come with me and deliver this gift and this accountability that's in place. And we desire to operate in accountability with God's finances here at RMC. If you do give to RMC and you want to look at the budget and you want to look at the finances and look at those things, call the church office and 
Ask for Michelle. She's our financial controller, our Pastor Robert, our assistant pastor, and we would love to share that information uh, with you. We have an active board of elders that serve in this pastoral accountability to our, our church in the area of, of finances. Also, Cape and Krause, they're an outside organization. They come in and audit the church one year, and then they do a review the next year, an outside group that looks at the finances to make sure that there's a accountability. So I think it's important in this stewardship of giving, wherever you feel led to give, that you make sure what you're giving to in God's kingdom's got accountability. If there's not accountability that's put in place with the area of finances, we know it's just too much for our flesh, isn't it? It's too much for our, our sinful flesh to get in the way and see God's resources be misused. In verse 5, now I come to you when I pass through Macedonia. For I am passing through Macedonia, and it shall be that I will remain, or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay with you a while if the Lord permits. Third lesson from the Apostle Paul is have a plan then place it in God's hands. He says, now's not the time for me to visit, but I do plan to come in the winter and stay with you for a time if the Lord permits. I believe that we can err on both sides of this. Sometimes we err on the side of not having a plan, that it doesn't seem spiritual to have a plan, that we should just go through our days without a plan, and, and that is walking in the Spirit and being open to uh, the Spirit. I believe God would want us to have a plan. Not our plan, but his plan where we would pray and we'd get in the scripture, we'd seek godly counsel and say, all right, this is something that is on our hearts. This is something that's on our hearts for our family. This is something that's on my heart and singleness. This is how the Lord would want me to use this time this fall. It's good to have a plan. But the hard part is once we have a plan, it's difficult to leave it in God's hands, isn't it? It's difficult to let the Lord change the plan if the Lord permits, if the Lord wills. In the book of James, James writes and says, don't say that you're going to such and such a city and going to do business for a year. Say, I'm going to go to this city and do business for a year if the Lord permits. I'm putting it into God's hands. I'm realizing that the Lord will change plans. When we live our lives open to divine interruption, it causes us to smile when an interruption comes in. Because we go, Lord, here's the plan I thought you put on my heart, but I'm submitting it to you. Now you're changing my plan. But when we're not living with that place of being open to his interruption, his agenda, then the interruption becomes a frustration. Church, is this resonating right now? Has anybody had some plans canceled this year? Anybody had some plans change this year? This whole year has looked so much different than we thought. Let's go back to New Year's Eve. January 1st, 2020. There was so much excitement, wasn't there? I underestimated it. I hadn't been thinking, oh, this is a new decade. And because it was a new decade, it seemed like there was an all-time hype for the new year. These are all the things that I'm going to do. This is the new version of me. I'm going to be the best version of me ever, right? The roaring 20s was a lot of what people was, was talking about. I think gym memberships went way through the roof because I got to have some goals, not just for this year, but for the decade. Then what happened? 
God hit the brakes real hard mid-March, didn't he? And here we are going, we can't even look past this next month, let alone for this next decade. So this is an important time, probably more so than normal, to have a plan, but put it into God's hands and have to be flexible. I'm looking for, where is God working in the midst of the COVID virus? Where is God working in our lives, in our family, in our church? And one of the things that we're experiencing as a staff and a church leadership is we're having to be a lot more flexible to what the Lord would have us to do. We would have never thought to have services out in our parking lot. We've had a lot of outdoor services over the years, but they're always at a park or some other venue. But through all of this, all of January, we were meeting out in the parking lot. Doesn't the air conditioning feel nice this morning? To be out there on a Sunday morning. But we saw God use those outdoor services. Apparently, the worship projects right over to the King Supers parking lot. We had several people come over to the church because they were getting their groceries on a Sunday morning, and they're like, what's that? And wandered over and are still involved with the church. We had several walking around that live in this neighborhood that stopped to the point where Labor Day weekend, we said, let's have outdoor services Friday night and Saturday. Jesus saves and and reach out to our neighborhood. That's something that God did through all of this and having to be more flexible. Something I'm really excited about is harvest gathering this year. As we were praying uh, and trying to figure things out, God really gave us a vision to not have harvest gathering at the church. And I'm super pumped about it. As we were thinking about having harvest gathering at the church, it just seemed like we were forcing it. How do we ask you to volunteer at the kids' games where the kids are touching the same things all night, thousands of kids, and then you're touching those same things? How do we encourage the kids to come out under these environments and touch the same stuff all evening? And as much as we wanted to have that event, we really feel like the Lord has something else And we want to be in our neighborhoods, right where we live, our apartment complexes, our homes, and do Harvest Neighborhood. To say, you know what, instead of just closing my doors on Halloween, I'm going to open my doors and love the kids and families in my neighborhood. So we're going to put together some kits, where if you sign up, we're going to give you a kit, get you on some candy, get you some starter on some candy, some ideas Maybe you have hot chocolate and sit outside, weather permitting. You make some chocolate chip cookies and you sit outside. You may choose to host a neighborhood barbecue. It's on a Saturday and say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out. But I believe this is part of what God is doing. It's easy for us as a church to always be here. And we love being here and inviting people here. But this is forcing us to, to go out and love our neighborhoods in another way. I've been on staff here at RMC for 20 years. And for 20 years, we've had the harvest gathering. We haven't missed one. And the harvest gathering was happening long before I showed up, right? I don't think we would have ever dared to mess with the harvest gathering unless it was this year, right? I've never been home in my neighborhood on a Halloween. I've never been in my driveway loving on the kids and the families that would come to my door looking for some candy to keep the dentists in business, right? But this is an opportunity to, to reach out in a different way. And so as hard as it is to let go of some of those things that we enjoy, 
I'm sure you're wrestling in your family. Man, these are things that we enjoy in our family, but they've been altered, is to say, okay, Lord, what do you have for us? Where, where are you leading? So have a plan, but put it into God's hands. In verse 4, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Fourth lesson. Adversity doesn't always mean a closed door. Adversity doesn't always mean a closed door. Paul's in Ephesus, and things are really hard. And because they're hard, he's come to discern that there is a great door that's been opened for him, a great opportunity in God's kingdom. It's easy for us to think that open doors only mean smooth sailings, but that's not necessarily the case. When you're looking to make an impact for Christ, sometimes there's going to be adversity in the midst of that open door. Also, sometimes there's opportunity for us to pursue something that's the exact opposite direction of God's will. Jonah had an open door to disobey God. Jonah called him to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to share God's love with his enemies. Guess what? There was a boat going to Tarshish, which was the exact opposite direction of where God called him. We have all experienced open doors of disobedience. Something that's exactly disobedient to the Lord, but we have the opportunity to pursue it if we choose to it. So just because something's hard doesn't mean it's a closed door. And just because we have the opportunity to do something doesn't mean that it's an open door. So we've got to press into the Lord through prayer, through his word, and say, Lord, things are hard and difficult, and I feel like giving up, but this might be exactly where you have me. Are things difficult in your marriage? Don't give up. That adversity, God wants to work through that adversity and grow your marriage. Are things difficult with your children? Don't give up. Are things difficult in singlehood? Don't, don't give up. Are things difficult in your job? It may not be that God is calling you out of that job right now. You might be exactly where the Lord wants you to be. And some of the best kingdom opportunities come through adversity. You may be weeks, days, months away from the breakthrough. I'm not moving from what the Lord has for me. I know this is exactly where God wants me to be. And God is our good shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd, and he is really good at letting us know you need to stay here. Okay, or here's an open door for you that you are to pursue. But may we not misunderstand. Adversity doesn't always mean a closed door. In verse 10, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me. For I am waiting for him with the brethren. Timothy is a young man. Paul's disciple, Paul mentors him. He's the mentee. We know that Timothy struggled with fear. He also struggled with his health. Paul had to write and encourage him and say, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. He was timid over the fact of leading as a youth. This was a culture that until you were older, you wouldn't lead, but he's a young man and God had called him to lead. 
Paul challenges him, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth, but be an example to the believers. His fear was so prevalent that Paul writes to the church of Corinth and says, if this guy shows up as a scaredy cat, don't let him get away with it, right? If you see Timothy being fearful, don't let him get away with it. Come and exhort him to be strong and of good courage. But then also, there's this challenge to the church of Corinth to receive from Timothy, to receive from this younger pastor. There would be a tendency for the church of Corinth to get offended. Well, Paul's not coming. He put us on the B list, and he sent Timothy, right? We may have Pauls in our lives that we enjoy receiving from, and that's fine, but we need to be open to a multitude of voices that God would use in our life. Is there maybe a Timothy in your life that you've dismissed? where you're not willing to receive from. And that was the challenge. I'm also comforted that this great man of God, Timothy, who did grow and leave a great legacy of serving the Lord, he struggled. He struggled with fear. So if you're struggling with fear, you're not the only one. Timothy struggled with fear. It was something that he had to work through. Verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren. But he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. So Apollos, Acts 18 tells us, was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. Acts 19 tells us that he spent some time in Corinth. Already in this letter, Paul addresses that some were saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. But here, Apollos told the apostle Paul, no. This is the fifth lesson. No is necessary at times. Paul strongly urged Apollos to go to Corinth. How hard would it be to say no to the Apostle Paul? I bet a lot of people that when they were asked something from the Apostle Paul, they just said yes, without even praying about it, without even evaluating if they could pull it off, but not Apollos. It shows his spiritual maturity that he's taking his marching orders from the Lord. It wasn't the right time for him to come. He's going to come at a convenient time. This is a deep life lesson. If we say yes to everything, we'll be good for nothing. And it's very easy inside of the church, of the kingdom of God, to feel like we have to say yes to every opportunity, to every need. But Jesus said no. From what I can gleaned from the gospels, there's three places where Jesus said no. The first is in Mark chapter one. Jesus spent this extended time praying alone with the father. Here comes the disciples saying, everybody's looking for you. There's this huge mass of multitude that wants to hear from you. And Jesus says, no, we're moving on to the next city because I need to preach there. He didn't allow the need to dictate his answer, he got his answer from the father and the father was leading him to the next city. Also, we find in Luke chapter 12, a man comes to Jesus and says, I want you to be the arbiter, the the peacemaker between my brother and I. He's not giving me the inheritance. That's a plea for justice. You would think Jesus would, would take that. This man is not getting the inheritance that is due him. But Jesus looks at the man and he says, I'm not the one who is the peacemaker between you and your brother. 
then he warns this guy and says, beware of covetousness. Life is not found in the things that you possess. He saw the motivation of this man that was asking, and he challenged his motivation. Jesus looked a little bit deeper than just the cause, and he looked at the heart, and he's like, the heart is what needs to be addressed, so I'm going to say no at this time. John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 plus women and children. Could have been 15,000. Word gets out that Jesus is given free Chick-fil-A. More people come. Jesus knows their hearts and says, you're not coming to seek me. You just want a free lunch. You want the Chick-fil-A king, right? Your guys are not interested in the things of God. Then he challenges the whole multitude and says, you need to seek food that's going to last for all of eternity. He says, no, he doesn't do the second miracle. If Jesus said no, there's going to be times where we need to be able to say no as well. This protects us from burnout. This protects us from a place of of getting overextended. There's times to say yes, but there's also times to say no. Another silver lining in the midst of this year in the COVID crisis. Has anybody enjoyed having a little bit more time? I hope so. Anybody enjoyed not being quite so busy? Have we evaluated some of our commitments and gone, you know, I think we were a little bit overextended. Isn't there so much pressure to say yes to everything in our culture and be involved in everything? As parents, we feel like we're terrible parents if our kids are not involved in everything under the sun. When I was growing up, we had time to play outside. It's crazy, right? Eric, just go play outside. Go play in the dirt. Shoot baskets in the driveway. It's not like that anymore. It's like, you got to be involved in every, every activity. And the Lord will show us as, as families and individuals what to do. But I do know this. Things are picking up. Things are ramping up. And there's this tendency as, as things are starting to reopen and we miss those activities to just go full bore back into everything. And it's a good time to say, what is it that the Lord really wants us to say yes to? What is it that the Lord wants us to say no to? You have freedom in Christ to say no Verse 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Great exhortation, watch, be watchful. There's a real enemy that wants to destroy us and destroy our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're soldiers where we take care of our own soul, but also look after the souls of our brothers and sisters in Christ to stand fast in faith. The way that we stand fast is through faith, by trusting the Lord. Almost seems like a paradox. How do I stand fast? From dependency, from trust upon the Lord. Be brave. It's a time to be brave. Church of Corinth needs to be challenged to be brave. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Then do everything in love. We can do the right thing the wrong way. What do I mean? You're at a four-way stop. And there's the moron to the right where it's their turn to go and they won't go. So you look at them and Now, is that the right thing? Yes, it's the right thing. (laughs) Technically, that's the right thing. They've got the right of way. They're gumming up the whole four-way intersection. They just need to get out of their phones and go, right? So that's the right thing the wrong way. There's another way to do that. Smile, 
wave, it's your turn, thumbs up, right? (laughs) To do it in love. It's so hard to do, isn't it? Another one that's like that is merging. It's like that, that one personally drives me nuts. It's like, step on the gas. You've got to merge. Like, you've got to do something here, right? So it's hard when it, you know this is the right thing, but then to be able to do it in love. Church, I think also this is really applicable for us right now because we can see the right thing as believers. We know truth as, as believers, which is so good. Hold on to that truth. Don't, don't be deceived. We talked about that on, on Wednesday night. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. Jesus did everything with love. So as we operate in truth, we need to make sure that we're doing it in love. We're doing the right thing the right way, which is in love. Verse 15, I urge you, brethren, you must know the household of Stephanus. That is the first fruits of Achaia, that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Achaia was the Roman province extending over central and southern Greece, of which Corinth is the capital. So similar to Colorado. And Stephanus is the first fruits of Achaia, the first believer in this region that Paul was able to minister to, and he had chosen to devote himself to the ministry of the saints. He devoted himself to believers. Verse 16, that you also submit to such and everyone who works and labors with us, acknowledging those who are laboring in the Lord and responding to their leadership. Verse 17, I'm glad about the coming of Stephantus, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. For what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. Sixth lesson all need refreshment. All need refreshment. These three men left Corinth, came to Ephesus for the sole purpose of encouraging the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, my spirit was refreshed. He also knows that these three guys refresh the spirits of the church of Corinth. Paul had a great relationship with the Lord. His primary source of refreshment was the Lord. But he is still a member of the body of Christ, and the way that God has designed it is that we receive refreshment for one another. So even this great man, the Apostle Paul, needed refreshment that comes through the body of Christ, that comes through brothers in Christ. There's something that God has intended for us, fellowship, relationship with other believers that's going to refresh our souls. We've all probably been there where you spend some time with a believer and you're like, man, that was so good. I feel so refreshed. That was a cool drink of water to my soul, to my spirit. This is something that's been tested in this season to be in fellowship and be in relationship with believers. It's more difficult than ever. Satan wants to attack us, to isolate us, to where we're not spending any time with believers and we become much more vulnerable to his attack and his lies and and his deception. Do you need refreshment this morning? And could that source of refreshment come from other believers? And choosing saying, I can't be isolated from believers even in this current circumstance. 
And how that you live that out is between you and the Lord, but saying, I'm going to be in relationship with believers. We have opportunities with small groups. You can go to the website. There's still opportunities to plug into some groups. Men's and women's ministry starts this week. Those meet in small groups. But it doesn't always have to be something organized through the church. It can also be organic, right? Do you know some believers that you want to spend time with? Reach out to them and say, hey, let's grab lunch. Chipotle's open, gang. It's delicious. Go there with another believer, right? Spend time with a believer. Get some coffee with a, with a believer. Open up your home. Say, man, let's, let's get together. But we need fellowship. We need that relationship with each other. We need that refreshment. God never called us to be lone rangers. He never called us to simply be by ourselves, but to be with believers. In verse 19, the church of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. This great ministry couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who served God faithfully, that were tent makers, and they're having church in their home. And this is the seventh lesson. Church is not a location. Church is not a building. Church happens at Starbucks, believe it or not, when believers are together. Church happens in homes as believers are together. Church happens in parks as believers are together. Church happens in traditional buildings like this as the church is together. The church is not a physical location. The church is you and I. And the church meets when we gather together. Something to pray about and consider for those listening online at home or times where you listen online at home is invite others to listen with you. Invite another family to come in and worship with you inside of your home. As many of you know, I went through some health challenges earlier in the year in April. Missed a couple Sundays resting and readjusting. And we had some friends that said, hey, why don't you guys come and watch church with us? So on a Saturday night, our family went over to their family's house and we had a watch party, a church party, a church in, in their home, had a meal together first and then sat down in their nice comfy chairs and worshiped through the live stream. And I had a new perspective of how difficult the live stream is because after you've eaten and you sit in your comfortable chair, it is really hard to stay awake. <laughs> Pastor Robert was doing a great job teaching, right? But I was struggling to, to stay awake. So wake up on the live stream. Wake up, right? You know? All right, just having fun with you. But I know you can't laugh. You're on the live stream. But I'm believing in faith that you're laughing right now. So, but think about just the opportunities that, that could happen through the live stream to say, here I am sitting by myself, I'm going to invite somebody to come and join me on the, this live stream. So, so church is not a location. Hopefully we've learned that this year and been reminded of the truth of it. In verse 20, And brethren, greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's. This is the traditional greeting in the culture is to greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. For us, it would be a, a handshake, a, a pat on the back, a, a hug. But right now, it's the social distance nod right? But the importance of greeting each other as believers. Paul would dictate his letter to someone else who was writing it down, and then Paul would sign off with his own name. 
Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The word accursed, anathema, it all comes down to Jesus. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. The cry of the church, the cry of the Apostle Paul is, O Lord, come, Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. Is that the cry of our hearts? As we see things unraveling, as we see racial division and racial hatred, as we see political mayhem, when we see violence, when we see wildfires, my hometown, the Rogue Valley, lost 2,800 homes in the last few weeks. It's a much smaller town than Colorado Springs. Black Forest Fire, about 500 homes. Waldo Canyon Fire, 500 homes. They lost 2,800 homes. Hurricanes. Chaos. Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was our generation they got to be alive at the return of Christ. They got to experience the, the rapture of the church. We don't know when Christ is going to come, but Jesus called us to live in anticipation that he's going to come, to look forward to his coming, to cry out for his coming. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're left in the grace of God. We're left in God's loving care for us. Consider this. I don't want to give you a list this morning of rules, of regulations, of behavior modification. What I do want to leave you with is the bigger picture of Paul's life. Why did Paul live this way? Why did he encourage others to live this way? Because he experienced the grace of God. He's a sinner that was radically opposed to the things of Christ to the point where he's persecuting Christians And God called him by name. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saved Paul, changed his name, and Paul never looked back and he served the Lord. The reason that we want to live this way is because of the grace of God. Because God has forgiven us of of our sins. And out of that, we choose to be a living sacrifice. Out of that, we say, I want my life to be lived in wisdom. So with that perspective, is there one of these seven things that really hits you this morning? Because it's really easy to get to Monday morning and not even remember what we studied. Is there one of these that God really wants to apply in your life? Is it this aspect of giving, taking some time to pray and say, Lord, what do you desire for me to give? Is it this concept of saying no? I bet that some of you are chronic yesers. You always say yes. You always feel this obligation to say yes. And God's wanting to free you up to be able to say no. For some, it's submitting your plan to God's hand. You're so mad because your plan's not working. So angry because I have this plan and it's, it's not working. And we'll submit it to the Lord. For others of you, you can't remember when you had a plan. Like you're just going through life. God's like, Hey, I want you to have a plan. Maybe it's the truth of adversity. And you came in this morning thinking, man, there's adversity. That It must be a closed door. And God may be speaking to you. Hey, there's adversity, but this is right where I want you to be. 
But what, it, what verse as we read through that really stood out to you? And lay, lay hold of it, underline it, pray through it and say, okay, God, I want to press forward in these things. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thanks for making your word so applicable to our lives. It seems that each of these really apply as we go through this, this COVID virus. So would you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand? May we be encouraged and may we be built up. And as a church family standing together right now, we cry out, Lord, come. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. We desire for you to return and desire for you to set things right. And in the meantime, we want to serve you. We want our lives to be effective. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.